Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifacts Scene podcast, established 1928. In this month's episode, we chat about your world-building subgenre names, talk about how awesome you all are in the context of Poverty is Violence, discuss Irish, hear about the further adventures of Yarte Yarden in Cairn. In the green room, we talk about how I am now Mr. and Mrs. Captain, how Peru is on fire, how Georgia is on fire, how my honeymoon plans are on fire, and how musical pedagogy is apparently also on fire. All that, plus lots more, in this month's episode. Wilhelm von Grath. You know, I can't just... No. Save do it, it. We'll do save it, it for the do show. it. No, tangent, no, 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 start no. with a tangent. Oh. I'm not starting with a tangent. Oh, there's going to be so many tangents. Okay, um, show begins. Uh, I want to talk about, Bill, uh, the alt names for world building. I put a call out in the previous episode for uh, names for the subcategory of world building that is world building for world building's sake and without any sort of explicit goal like writing a book, a game, mm-hmm. a graphic novel, that sort of thing. Um, we got quite a lot of answers. Uh, and I just want to ream off uh, some of them. Uh, this is in no particular order. Um, some of them are obviously joke answers. Some of them are a little bit more serious. Um, I'll ream them off and let me know what you think about the bunch. Sure. All right. So we have planet building, world modeling, uh, the very brutalist non-story world building, uh, the very brutalist and... Um, multi-syllabic non-narrative world building uh world crafting lore crafting geo crafting slarty bart fasting cosmergy and then the final one geofiction uh, and then i also had a thought about something like world brew but not, i don't really want to put my own suggestions on on the list thoughts about the bunch anything in there that piques your interest um I like Cosmergy. Mm, very hard to make a verbal noun out of it, though. Cosmergying. Cosmerging. Yeah. Cosmerging. The, yeah. the, re- the reason I like it is because you, are you familiar with the phrase demiurge? Or demiurge? No. Demiurge. No. It's urge, I think. Um, so it's from like Gnostic philosophy. The demiurge is the creator god, and, and it's usually seen as kind of a, a, a malign. Or, or an evil force, um, as opposed to like the god of the spirit that the, the material world is evil, and it's just it's 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 a nice I don't know, it's it's a nice phrase, and I like the I like the resonance that cosmergy holds with that. Do you um, know what what is the meaning of the suffix urgy? Do you know what that uh, derives from? I just looked it up. Fair play, and it's uh, from the ancient Greek urgos, which is a worker from ergon labor task or work from the proto-indo-european vergum which means work i totally guessed that i pronounced that proto-indo-european uh, apologies to all our proto-indo-european speakers nice nicely played um that's kind of cool that's yeah that is kind of cool cosmergy i think that was uh keras sarian who suggested that one mm. um yeah it does have the verbal noun the lack of the verbal noun is a problem but it does have and also i guess one could make the argument it's very grand and dare I say it, sorry, Keras, a bit pompous, maybe? Possibly, uh, yeah, possibly. I don't know. And also it leads into the hegemony of, um, oh, sorry, where we, it was from the Greek, wasn't it, the suffix? 
Yeah. It leans into hegemony of Latin and Greek, which is something that uh, I, um, I don't know, I'm kind of in, in a hipster phase about and want to kind of like stop labeling everything in Latin and Greek terms. Um, go back to Germanic roots. Go back to, but not even, I just think like um, whatever language is most prudent. Uh, the thing that springs to mind here is uh, I think in, oh crap, what's the field called? Like, I guess archaeology. Archaeology is where they dig up like fossils of animals, not just fossils, not just like remnants of houses and stuff, correct? I mean, I guess animals are kind of relevant to archaeology, yeah. Like, but if it's dinosaurs, it'd be paleontology. If it's fossils, it's paleontology. Paleontology, there you go. Um, I think I remember talk to, talking a bit about this and um, he was saying that there's a, a kind of a, a movement away from Greek and Latin. And mm. so you have a bunch of dinosaurs that just have like yes. Chinese names. Yeah, yeah, they're all called Lung. And then there's also, I think some fossils were found up in Scotland, um, I think, and they were given Celtic names, which I think is cool. Um, uh, it's a bit kind of like aesthetically, it's a bit all over the gaff that everything is kind of not this hegemonic sort of style, but I think it's just kind of cool to not always be uh, Latin or Greek based. Yeah, um, like, I, I approve. Yeah, so do I, so do I. Um now, uh, the reason why, one I want to bring up, the reason why uh, I brought this up in the last show uh, was, one, because I think a subcategory is uh, kind of, I would like there to be a subcategory name here. And the other one is that it, it, quick, it dawned on me a few weeks ago that, you know the way I've got this reference doc for the new series where I put in all the facts of the universe I'm creating? Mm-hmm. That reference doc is quickly going to become obsolete uh, and it dawned on me that I'm going to have to, like, get a website. Um, because as I make um, animations of the world, uh, particularly with the tectonic history and showing those animations, not really that useful to have a static doc. Um, yes, I know PDFs can contain videos. It's awkward, and most people won't be able to evade of that. So just to preempt something there. So I was like, I'm going to need a website. And then I was like, crap, what am I going to call the website? Because I can't use Artifexian because I, like an idiot, called the podcast website Artifexian when I should have called it Artifexian Podcast. So I don't really know how domains and stuff work, but I'm pretty sure I can't just like redirect Artifexian.com to uh, like ArtifexianPodcast.com and use Artifexian as well. So I'm like, crap, I'm going to need to like come up with a new name. And I thought using a subcategory of Wurbling would be a really cool move here. Um, and possibly trying to get the domain name .art, because it is art, and I am art, Artifexian. Um, so starty bars fasting, .art, that sort of thing. Could you do um, it Artifexian.art instead of whatever the podcast website is? Yeah, that's another thing as well, Bill. I should have really done the thing, bought the domain for the Federated States of Micronesia, uh, and then it would have been Artifexian.fm, which is just really cool. Um, but I didn't do that either. So I made a serious lapse. I have a serious lapse of judgment when, when setting up the podcast website, low these like 20 years ago at this stage. Um, uh, artifexing.art, cool. It's a bit, it's a bit like repetitive. <laughs> art, art.art. Art. Um, I, I don't know, but I, part of me thinks that, yeah, a subtype of warbling might be fun there. Cosmergy.art, kind of fun. Mm. That's kind of a fun website name. Um, so all this is to say, I'm taking on board all the suggestions and thinking about how I might incorporate 
find one that works for both the subgenre and the the new website, which will come down the line at some stage. Yeah, you can't get .dot an uh, addresses anymore. Oh, why not? Uh, they it, it was the Netherlands and Tilly's, and they've been they've been phased out because the Netherlands and Tilly's, uh doesn't exist. Oh, what what is Toulouse? Is that another place in France? Yeah, what's what? What wait wait the Netherlands? Hold on, sorry, hold on. Dot uh, an yeah, it references the net. You said the Netherlands and Toulouse. No, the Netherlands no. Antilles. The Netherlands Antilles. Yeah. Oh. In the Caribbean. But oh, it isn't anymore because okay. it doesn't exist anymore. Why doesn't it exist anymore? It, it's uh, um, it organized differently now. It's it's like a, and I'm not sure exactly what, but it was like this is dissolved and is a direct part of, of the Netherlands or something. I, I thought this was some elaborate joke where it's like, that is the name of a like underwater chain of seamounts. It's like, <laughs> lol, they don't exist anymore. I'm like, see, I would think that my uh, knowledge of geography is really good, but only when it comes to what is um, regions that are commonly defined as countries. Anytime you have territories, I'm just, I don't have a clue about any of them. Um, so yeah, the, the Antilles, for all I knew, the Netherlands, the Antilles of Netherlands or whatever, um, could have just been a series of seamounts and that's it. Um, they're, they're now called the Caribbean Netherlands. There we go. The Caribbean Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, oh, so you were going for artifexy.an. Yes. Uh, uh. I wonder, can you get like .ing? Oh, let's find out. Like artifexing? No. No. <laughs> or artifexing.licorice. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Artifexian.edgar. <laughs> .edgar. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, something coming out of this sort of informal poll that we had about alt names for, for Warbling, something will come off this. Um, yeah, my eye has been drawn through cos- to Cosmergy. The other one, the other one, I think to understand that one, is the one I've literally just been using all the time but failed to realize, Geofiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, that says it quite plainly, like, fictitious geography. Makes no reference to, like, stories, really. Um, so and the, the ge- geo itself is the fiction. The geo itself is the fiction. So Geofiction, Chakar, the one I've been using, is actually quite, is the most kind of direct. Mm-hmm. Um geofiction.art hmm maybe we'll see we'll see we'll see uh okay so that is uh alt names for world building anything else to add i don't think so no okay so um irish can i talk about irish oh i have a new new thing to add in into the irish section putting in the show notes now okay um so i suppose i should make that explicit wait there we go um we talked last time about, I think it was last time, uh, we talked about uh, my looking for um, Irish language groups to, like, go to and learn, uh, relearn my cupola focal, right? Mm-hmm. The Hyanga I don't know what that means. <laughs> Your heritage language. 
Oh, very good. Uh, oh, God, I'm so bad at the language. It's ridiculous. Um, you're so much better at it than me. Oh, crazy. How did you maintain this, may I ask? Um, I can spoof it convincingly. I'm, I'm not actually... <laughs> don't I, it's not actually that high a standard. But I, I'm, just, I'm good at, like, remembering specific phrases and things. Um, and I can like I'm I'm kind of good at vocabulary when I'm in places I can I can figure out what things mean reasonably well, um, like when I travel and stuff. But you know it's 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 largely it's largely uh, confident guesswork. Mm-hmm. Talk really fast and slur your words, and everyone just goes like, "Oh yeah, that's a native speaker right there." <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyhow, I uh I was talking to a neighbor. And I brought this up because uh, this neighbor mentioned that uh, she talks Irish with the kids. Mm. Uh, not that she is a Irish speaker, but wherever possible, she interjects Irish into daily life. So I, I would imagine it's just a bunch of exclamations, a couple of stock phrases, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got us talking about Irish. And I was like, God, I'd love to find groups and stuff. And she was like, well, I worked as a librarian. And uh, you'll, I think you'll find that in libraries, they hold, uh, I think they're, they're called Kirkel Koros. Yeah. Um, like conversation circles in libraries. Yeah. And I was like, you're kidding me. Like, and libraries that we have, because again, I'm sure in Dublin, in cities, they have all this. But I was like, well, does our local library have, have it? And she's like, no, but the one town over does. And it's within comfortable driving distance. So I am making it a sort of like a belated New Year's resolution to work a little bit more on Duolingo with my Irish, uh, just to like regain at least some vocab because I don't want to go in just dry. And then I think I might sign up if it works out. Like if it's not on a Friday evening when I stream and things like that, Um, I'm going to go sign up and uh, learn a bit of Irish because that would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. I've gone Um, gone to one in Carlo a couple of times. Oh, now what was the age group? Uh, Or was the age spread in it? So the last time I went, I was the youngest person there, you know, in my early mid thirties. Um, and the next youngest person there had just uh, come from her exercise for the over sixties class. Okay, that's actually good. <laughs> I I would enjoy that because this person, the neighbor, mentioned that like, oh, you can get people who are like seventeen all the way up to like seventy, and I'm like, I don't think I would tolerate being in a room with a bunch of teenagers who are desperately trying to like get their Irish good for the exams um I kind of much rather hanging around older people so that's actually good news thank you that's quite all right hmm. did you enjoy it yes yes good okay good well if you enjoyed it and given that we're kind of of similar-ish disposition hopefully I'll enjoy it and anyhow it's not it's not really a case of enjoyment it's a case of there's a job to be done here and the yeah. job is learn Irish, so just do it. Um, uh, the, so, and then uh, the final thing on the Irish was uh, I was streaming uh, on Friday, and I was doing a Duolingo stream for the patrons, uh, mm-hmm. the main the main channel patrons, and it suddenly dawned on me that I don't remember ever being told that Irish has grammatical gender in school. Do you have a similar experience of this? Or am I just like blanking out phases of my childhood? No, I I remember that we 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 got that. You got that, okay? Because In- I the th- the thing I most strongly remember is uh, possessives, 
and the, the genitive, the, yeah. the mutations work different depending on the on the gender of the possessor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, my recollection is uh, just rote memorization. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like here's what the genitive does. Just learn it for this ver, uh, this 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 noun, and then here's another noun. Learn it, and I don't ever remember being expressly told like there's a sort of pattern here. Yeah. Um, which is mad. And then it dawned on me when I was doing Duolingo, I was like, maybe I should make an effort to learn the gender of these words. Because, you know, I unfortunately uh, re-cobbled together German later on in life. And uh, ich habe die Nomen ohne Artikel gelernt. This is a <laughs> problem. So I learned all the nouns without the gender. And so I'm constantly saying like, oh, it, is it der Baum, das Baum, die Baum? I don't know. Whatever feels right, just put it in there and then have the German people cry are at my terrible... Are you going to mass or are you getting a knife? Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, or are you talking about a lake or a sea? Who knows? Oh, and given know that, that there's... Yeah, it's der mehr, I think, and das mehr. They mean different things. But also, German is three genders, so you could also just completely butcher it and say die mehr, and it means nothing. Assuming mehr uh, is 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 not plural as well, because then it could mean like the seas or the lakes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was like, I should start noting the gender. So I started this right, and I was like, okay, cool. So we have the word ishka. What's the gender of ishka? Uh, do you know it by any chance? I do not know the answer to that question. Okay, so it's masculine. I was like, okay, cool. And then banya came up. Uh, Ishka means water, by the way, folks. Uh, Banya means milk. That came up, so I checked the gender of that. Do you want to take a guess at what the gender of banya might be? Um, This is based on the clues from the form of how this information has been presented. I'm going to guess it's feminine. It's masculine. Okay, well, that's Um, good. That's good, okay. And then the next word came up. And that also was masculine. And then the next word came up and it was masculine. And I'm like, I'm not some bit of a trend here, right? So turns out, and I again, I was never made aware of this, that just like the vast majority of nouns in Irish are masculine. Co- uh, Colleen, the word for girl, is masculine. <laughs> right? So, and then I was like, huh, maybe Fantastic. that is, yeah, I was like, huh, maybe that is why I don't remember being given a gender talk because 99% of the time, or okay, not 99, but let's say, I don't know, 80% of the time, um, the the noun is going to be masculine. So you can kind of like cut your losses and just be like, hey, this is the pattern for for nouns when it comes to possession, when it comes to the genitive. Just just do that. And if you happen to run into a, a feminine noun, just you'll lose a point. Who cares, right? Let's not go through the rigmarole. I half suspect that might have been going on. Um, because like the apparently the pool of feminine nouns is like vanishingly small. Um, all languages, or yeah, all languages barring English apparently, uh, are feminine. That's like one of the notable things. Um, and there's a couple of other things that 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 are feminine, but like the vast vast majority is masculine. And I just find that really weird. And I need to look into how this came uh, about because like my experience of other gendered languages is that there isn't like a a massive swing uh, one way or the other. It's kind of like a fairly-ish even distribution, but Irish seems to not be doing that, um, which is a bit mad. So I learned something new about Irish, TLDR. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that is Irish. Uh, final point of follow-up on my end. Go for it. 
Okay, time to get demonetized. I want to talk <laughs> poverty is violence. Right. So, uh, last episode, we, in the context of your uh, world building, uh, we got talking about labeling poverty uh, as violence. Um, and we had a little, little back and forth about it. And then the, the debate continued on Reddit uh, for many, many days after the episode dropped. Um, two things I want to say here. Um, one, I want to give props to our audience. Uh, I think this is really important because no one agreed with what we were saying, or very few people agree with what we we're saying about poverty being a form of violence. But at no point in the disagreement did anyone who was dissenting uh, become snotty or start slinging mud or calling us names or idiots or whatever. It was like just really robust, vigorous debate occurring just, you know, to trash out ideas. And yeah, none of the usual mudslinging you see on the internet. I think that's really cool. And I just, massive thanks to all the folks in the Reddit there. It's great to be able to just like do this without the fear of like, a dumpster fire occurring. So just props to our audience. Mm-hmm. You all are absolutely great. And I don't think, in, in the history of the show, I think I remember one point, I won't talk about what that is, but I think there was like one time in the past, what is it now, eight years, maybe, that we've been doing this show. About um, that. Yeah, where I was like, oh, that person got a bit out of line. Um, but like in all all that other time, though that one point um, notwithstanding, Everyone's just being really nice to one another. I think that's class. So again, Artifexia, thank you. Y- y'all are awesome. Continue We've to be remarkably awesome. non-toxic fan base. So thank you, all of you. We do. We do. I think part of that is, is uh, well, A, I think it's the kind of space we inhabit. I think, you know, the world-building, conlanging sort of uh, community is just kind of in its nature quite non-toxic. Because um, we're here for, like, the art. Um we're not here for, you know, politics or fighting or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I also think that having a small audience, like a very small audience <clears throat> on this show really helps as well because like, you know, the larger you get, um, you know, if 1% of people are just absolute dicks, you have a massive audience. That 1% is a massive amount of the audience. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, having a nice small audience is kind of, is cool. Um, so again, thank you folks. Uh, the, on the actual top point of debate, uh, I'm, I'm sure people will be unsurprised to hear this, but I was not moved by a lot of the uh, the counter arguments to uh, to poverty as violence. And I tried to take a step back and think about like how best to because f- sometimes when I, I find when there's a disagreement between between people, um, there's often like a uh, buried underneath all the argumentation. There's a fundamental like disagreement, right? That like. Um, is the is the kernel from where from whence everything else sprouts? So I was trying to think of like where is the fundamental disagreement between the people who think that poverty should be classed as a form of violence and poverty that shouldn't be classed as a form of form of violence. And I was struggling to pull it into words. And then literally just today, I saw a comment from uh, Gil Piff on the Reddit. It was a fairly newish comment, um, and I, I think it is. Uh, perfectly sums up what I was trying to get at. So if it's okay with you, I would like to read this out. Please. Okay, so the point of calling things like poverty violence is that it says poverty isn't a natural phenomenon, but caused intentionally by the state. 
So the exact mechanism isn't quite the same as ordering police to beat people up, uh, but really they're doing the same thing, causing great harm to a population to keep the ruling class in power. Whether that harm is by making uh, people hit them or shoot them or throw chemical weapons at them or put them in jail or make them work for scraps uh, is what defines a type of violence. But they're all violence. And I think that's the kernel of it. I think if, if one's worldview is that poverty is natural, you know, stuff falls to the ground at 9.8 meters per second squared, and there'll always be a disproportionate class of people who just don't have enough means to survive. If, if, that, if one assumes that that is the natural state of things, then the idea of calling poverty violence is, like, absurd. Um, and I don't want to debate if that is one's worldview. I think that's that's the fundamental kernel. Like, once you get down to, like, worldviews, it's hard to, you know, debate that. So if that is the, if that is the sort of axiom uh, uh, dissenters might be operating on, then cool, I can't really argue against that. But I would be inclined, like Gilpiff here, to say that poverty isn't natural. Like, it's an induced state. And... Um, that induced state causes a lot of the same results of actual physical violence, except, and partly I think it's worse because, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's more subtle. It's Mm. more sly. Like everyone agrees. Exactly. Like everyone, everyone agrees that running up and hitting someone is real bad, but like, you know, indirectly causing physical damage to the person is, is, you know, it's a lot more, it goes under the radar unnoticed. So I think Gilpiff hit the nail on the head. If poverty, if you see poverty and things like it as being induced states that cause harm, then violence is an apt way of thinking about it. If you don't, then it's not. Um, so th- so basically, yeah, thanks audience and thanks Gilpiff for, for sorting out my thoughts for me. <laughs> uh, anything to add on that? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, yeah, I, I, I thought that was a, a well, um, a well phrased response from Gilpiff. Um, but yeah, thank you to, to the, the community for being non-toxic. It is greatly appreciated. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, it, it just makes, you know, going into Reddit actually fun. <laughs> if, if it was the case that we published a podcast and we just know that there's just going to be a, like a dumpster fire afterwards, like why would we ever want to talk to people you know no, thank you. uh it just it makes it really nice so yeah thanks um I, I suppose actually i have one more thing um kind of related to this poverty is violence thing um i, I saw in the reddit uh, coming from a couple of people the sort of um hesitancy to uh redefine words um and i think i think there's maybe an interesting linguistics thing here in terms of like prescriptivism versus descriptivism um and i just i don't know what sort of point i have here other than like to share how i feel about this like i think words are like inherently mutable like they can change and change radically over time and i kind of when I see words being used in a new way or their meanings becoming broader or narrower, etc., uh, I kind of just go like, oh, that's cool. That language is doing this. And I feel like some people, and not that this is bad or anything, it's just a different way of thinking. Some people like see that and go, this is like an erosion of the language. Um, whereas I just think it's it's an evolution. So I don't know, I guess, yeah, I guess my slight advocacy piece here is that just always try and be on the side of describing how language is changing as opposed to saying 
language is like this and it should never change, do you know? Because it's kind of like evolution will happen. Words will change meaning, scopes will change, um, etc. So, I don't know, revel in the evolution? Is that a good way of phrasing it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I see what you mean, but I mean, I, do, I don't think any objection to any change is necessarily descriptive. I mean, we're we're active participants in a language and we we can dislike changes for reasons other than prescriptivism like you, you could you could object to it on 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 grounds that aren't just this is not what that word means you could object to it on well i think it does diminish meaning in this way or it is an unuseful conflation of two ideas um you know yeah. so if you say by 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 Using this to mean using X to mean Y, we lose an an element of nuance, um, which I think is a a theoretically valid, uh, like in principle, of a valid um, objection to it to to a change. I wouldn't necessarily agree with it in every instance, but yeah, I mean that 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 is coherent to me. It's like you know people, some people get very angry about uh, the erosion of meaning between less and fewer. Um, and I, I kind of agree that, that there is a, a shade of meaning lost if that distinction isn't maintained in certain, in certain circumstances. I, I guess my response there is one of like, I don't care if the speakers are making this change, you know, like I don't care if, if, if meaning is lost because there has to be some utility to this loss in meaning. Otherwise, en masse, we wouldn't all be doing this, you know? But, I mean, it's it's not like a single thing that is happening uniformly to everyone who speaks the language all at once. It is a thing that happens sometimes in, in some speakers, and some other people don't do that. And as active participants in the language, I mean, I think we get to ha- have a say in what we would like the language to be. That's, yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, again, I would be on the camp of, like, Oh right, so we're we're saying we should just use the word less all the time. Cool, I'm I'm on board. I like automatically just hop on board. The geez, maybe I'm just like a, a bit of a clout goblin here. I just want to go with the the in crowd that are changing the language. <laughs> just be like, whatever you're doing, I'm with you on that. Clout goblin. <laughs> clout goblin. Have you ever heard that term? I've never heard the term clout goblin before, Edgar. Now, is that sarcasm? It, no, it's 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 sincere. Okay, but I mean, it's fairly self-descriptive. It's like... Um, no, I, I, I didn't say I didn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I think I agree with you that as speakers, we should get a say in how the language goes. It sounds to me that you're defining that on a more kind of individualistic basis, and I'm defining it on a large group basis. So, like, I'm saying if large groups are doing X... They are the ones, they're, they're making the call as to how language might go. Um, whereas, I, I might be wrong, but you're saying more like, we as individual speakers can like be like, no, we shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. Um, we're operating, I think, on different scales in terms of how we think about this. I mean, but like any, any large group is going to be composed of individuals, so I don't really see a big conflict between what you, what you're, what you present as your perspective and as my perspective. It's just like, some people are going to do some things and... Just just because a change is happening doesn't mean that it's a majority change, and just because a change is happening doesn't mean that it is has 
What's the word I'm looking for here? Just because the change is happening doesn't mean that everyone has to like the change. And again, I want to I want to stress I don't I don't see this as prescriptivism. It is making active choices about what meanings can be. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's it's not saying that it means this because it means this. It, it's it's saying I, I'm you know I'm making these determinations on a on an active basis. Hmm. Is the are you using the less fewer example as just an example, or is that something? Or did you say you said earlier uh, that you were like I genuinely think there is a meaning lost here in this conflation? Yeah, yeah. So you 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 would fall on the camp of like we should probably keep that distinction around. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I pr- I prefer for that distinction to 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 be present than not, because there is there is a there is a. Uh, meaning preserved and I thought that would could be lost otherwise in certain circumstances do I I don't think I have those conflated in my speech because it's like less water and fewer pens correct yeah 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 um I don't think that's the thing that I'm doing um at least not, con- not consciously okay all right interesting I I didn't expect a a counter view there mm. um mm. I'm full of surprises um, Full of surprises, always keeping me on my toes, Bill. Um, okay, uh, follow up done? Question mark? Question mark? Follow up done. Full stop. World building. Let's be having it. Okay, I'm just gonna get straight into it. Oh, no preamble. Okay, I can use a preamble. This is a letter. Uh, from <gasps> a everyone's- letter. Uh, shockingly, um, from everyone's favorite recurring character, but there is uh, a twist to this one. Dear Alet, I will be brief. Two successful operations have been undertaken since my last communication. Thanks to the intelligence supplied by your scouts, we easily discovered the location of the exchange town selected at our last conference. Destruction of the settlement was achieved as a standard. As far as we could tell, all lives were accounted for and no materiel was left behind after the engagement. I predict this will weaken Arthani's ability to access the Vikal region, as we hoped. The second operation was the more difficult, having never been attempted previously. Shortly after the destruction of the exchange town, I took the liberty of apprehending an Arthani barge a day's travel away from the ruined settlement. No survivors remain to recount this breach of custom and treaty. Understanding the gravity of such a breach becoming widely known, every care was taken at all stages of the operation to ensure secrecy. Having established that this barge was not in convoy and there were no other vessels in operational range, I deployed a small force of marines on either side of the river to ambush the vessel. The purpose of this ruse was to draw attention away from the skies and covered the approach of our craft, thinking that they were beset by river bandits. The Urthani would not be prepared for the deployment of a battery and further marines and aviators to board their vessel from above. Their defence was spirited, but nonetheless ineffective, and quickly they surrendered their arms. The Urthani's protestations were not surrendered so readily, accusing the crew of my vessel, and myself in particular, of every crime and misbehaviour known to humanity. The captain was killed in the fighting before she had time to destroy her barge's logs, thus these were secured for your use. The Urthani casualties were disposed of overboard, 
while the surrendered crew were marched overland and executed in a clearing. The site's remoteness should allow exposure to the elements and the beasts of the forest to erase all evidence, and with it any likelihood that we should be connected to the barge's disappearance. The barge itself was towed into rocks and allowed to smash itself upon them, and then sink. Should the wreck be discovered, I expect it will be assumed that the crew deserted the ruined craft and became lost in the hostile surrounding country. All seized cargo from these expeditions will be dealt with by our usual agent in the Usain Depot. Should you require it, I can provide an account of this engagement, perhaps couched in speculative language, for inclusion in company treatises or for a review of the Commission as they consider how to further pursue this current conflict. I remain in your debt. Contract Captain Yar Teyartlin, location withheld. Hmm. Uh, maybe I'm just, like, tired and mm-hmm. or dumb, uh, mm-hmm. but where's the twist? What's the twist? It's not written to his cousin like all of his other letters have been. Oh God! <laughs> for, the, for the first time, we're we're, we're seeing we're, we're having Yar write to a different person. Oh boy! I was as you're reading, I was like glancing, uh, glancing over the the text, being like, "Where's the twist? What's happening? Where's the twists? Is is the barge logs? What's going on with this?" And then I'm just it's just like the recipient of the letter is someone different. Is that notable? Is that a notable thing other than breaking from form? Just it's a break from form. Oh, okay. Jeez, Bill, you sold that twist like it was something earth-shattering. Good no, God. I didn't. I just said there was a twist. That's that's all I said. <laughs> any any inferences made are, are the fault of you. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Well, let's start then with this recipient. Who is this Alette character? So you may recall, um, and for those who are newer listeners, I will explain, Yar was involved in a scandal and a disgrace but then was restored to a position of uh, relative um, notability um, through some backers and benefactors who raised funds for him to get um, a vessel and outfit it and become a sort of a, kind of a privateer, kind of a somewhat independent operator uh, working on behalf of the Tamar Company. Uh, Alette is one of those backers one of his benefactors. Mm. Okay, okay. So he's writing to Alette to be like, these are the fruits of your capital, basically. Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, Yar talks about two successful operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, operation number one, let's talk about this. Okay. Um, I don't understand what the the noun phrase exchange town means. That is absolutely fine. Just to quote the actual bit of text here, uh, it goes, Thanks to the intelligence supplied by your scouts, uh, we easily discovered the location of the exchange town selected at our last conference. And I suppose just as a follow-up, because it's all contained in this one sentence, uh, the phrase, at our last conference, I'd like to hear more about. Is this some secretive thing, uh, like clandestine thing, or is this an official company thing? So what is an exchange town? And tell me more about these conferences. So an exchange town um, is where Earthani goods are transported from one river course to another. They, they, they're they not by Earthani people themselves, but it's a town and the stuff is unloaded um, that they want to sell and it's brought overland and given uh, to another exchange town where it's put on another river. 
Uh, okay, is this uh, uh, a phrase of your own making or is this a, an established term? It is term? a phrase of my own making. Nice. That's kind of cool. Um, and, and such, I think such a situation is not a novel creation. I, I, am I sure. right in thinking that Vi- Vikings did this? I think you told me that Vikings just like trekked across. No, no, they, they themselves took their boats out of the river and just trekked across land sometimes and dumped I, them in the I, I, river. I think there were other people like locals involved in the actual portage um mm, but okay. yes they they would carry boats uh cross country to to get to a new river which just blew my mind when i when i read that i thought that was cool i know and speaking of this is like the third show running i think where this has come up but the show vikings i'm still watching it um <laughs> spoilers but again i guess it's fairly historical so <laughs> doesn't really matter i think um but they this happened the 1200 years ago i mean you can't complain about spoilers <laughs> but i just don't know what is fiction what is what yeah. is history here but um they in the show there is a depiction of the vikings uh attacking paris yeah and uh failing at the first attempt uh or technically the second attempt and then your man ragnar the lead viking uh just goes We'll, we'll carry the boats over land to Paris. And you just see them like these boats being hoisted up cliff faces and dragged along forested countryside. And I'm like, I cannot believe that someone thought that this is a solution. I don't remember that at all. That's cool. Well, oh, no, it's cool. It's cool. But like, I would look at that and be like, that's probably a little bit too involved in terms of labor and, you know, human resources. Mm. Uh, like, and they had to like, when they were moving the boats, uh, again, at least in the show, it's depicted as um, like they, they chopped down a bunch of trees to to make like, I don't know, what do you call them? Like, like kind of like wheels. You slide the boats along uh, a, a pathway built of trunks. Yeah, I know. Sense. I know what you mean. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God. So they were like, we just, we want to move the boats to the next river over. So we have to like, you know, um, blitzkrieg an entire forest just to make the wheels necessary to move the boats. And I'm just like, that is, that is insane. Um, but at least in the show, it clearly worked. So it's a good thing. Um, um, what about these conferences? Uh, so he just means like the last time that that he met with his backers and they strategized what Yar's tasks were. So am I right in thinking that it is, this is pretty clandestine though, because uh, he's operating outside of the companies. This is like a private venture with private uh, benefactors. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's still for the benefit of the company, um, but this is not uh, sanctioned or dictated by the company overall. No. Okay. Um, you go on in this paragraph to say, as far as we could tell, all lives were accounted for and no material was left behind after the engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that's not a typo because you said material. What the yeah. hell is material? Um, so it's used in military language as like military equipment, military stuff. Oh. So, like an anti-material rifle is a is a rifle that's uh, designed to like engage with um, vehicles, for example, and or or like uh, emplaced weapons. Why not use the word material there? What they're saying, what what he's saying is, none, no of their own like weapon stuff was left behind to to indicate that they that it was them that had done it, so that it, there was no evidence that it was the the 
Tamar Company or Tamar Company affiliated agents that had had committed this violence. No, 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 I totally get that. But but uh, the point I'm making is that the word material uh, also means a bunch of objects. So why the distinction between material and material? Like in in general, why does that that, that distinction exist? Yeah, yeah. Like in in military lingo, why not? Why do why do they use this word material and not material? Because material could be like any stuff whatsoever, rather than meaning the specific military equipment. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So, like, okay. If you say means- the material could just be like concrete. Whereas material is like, well, there was a recoilless rifle or there was a, a technical or something there. Interesting, interesting. I have not heard that term before. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. God, I learned so much about warfare and like naval culture from you. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, next line. Uh, I predict this will weaken Earthani ability to access the V coal region as we had hoped. Um, for the benefit of uh, newer listeners, um, give us a sort of orientation about where the V-Code region is and maybe why the Earthani want to access it. So the, the Earthani are kind of a rival culture to the the two interlocutors in this uh, letter. Um, and they are supplying, uh, are they being, they're believed to be supplying, well, it's, it's confirmed that they're supplying uh, dissidents and um, agitators within um, the Abeski culture. Uh, so the Vikal region is like one of the provinces of, of heavy um, Abeski settlement. Uh, the Urthani are river traders, and so they were coming to this town so they could move their stuff to another river and thence into the Vikal region where they could they could supply things to, or they could sell things to uh, the agitators. Okay, and oh, right, and I see. So the destruction of the exchange town basically like locks off the other river that enters the Vicol region. Yeah, pro- pro- probably not entirely. There may be other routes to do so, but it, it certainly it it kind of is a, is an attack upon their ability to their like their infrastructure and their ability to to access uh, Lansk, um, which is where the 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 big site of of uprising is is occurring. Sure, sure. Um, this might be cuttable material, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm going to attempt it anyways. Um, if there's a jump cut here, folks, you know what happened. Um, the I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but uh, what's the deal with race in in Ecairn, in your setting? Um, I'm suddenly wondering, are the Arthani people a different race to the Abeski? Um, is skin color a thing here? Because th- these are, if I recall correctly, these are humans, humans. Like, they're yeah. not like aliens like they're they're actual humans yeah so very tall have you humans, thought of, they're humans yes very tall humans um have you thought about race and how this works are the arthani people people of color and therefore they are seen as a different culture or what's the jazz here uh, also if you don't want to answer it because you know sense of topic that's also cool um no no they're they're all like there are there are eth- maybe like ethnic and cultural differences but they're they're not uh so different that they would be seen as uh, radically different races by kind of our understanding of it. Okay. Yeah, I seem to remember actually you talking about, I think you said something more like like class plays a bigger role than race as a as a sort of differentiator. Um, yeah, because among sort of the, the 
equivalent of the working class among the Abeski, the, the groundsfolk, there would be significant kind of overlap with with the Earthani. Like there, there would be intermarriage and there would be uh, shared shared heritages. Um, okay. But no, they're, right. they're, it, it's not like they are radically visually distinct from each other um, on, on some like obvious physical characteristic. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, so that is uh, operation number one, the mm-hmm. destruction of this exchange town that uh, stifles the ability of the yeah. Arthani to operate to a degree. Which, now, to be, operation- which to be absolutely clear is a war crime is a war crime. Yeah, this this and, is like a totally totally unconscionable act. Oh, geez, I would have thought that the the second one was the, the really unconscionable act. I mean, <laughs> they both can be. Well, that's that's true. Uh, I guess I need you to find for me war crime. Are you using the word war crime in the in the earth terran sense? Yeah, yeah, in a, in, a, or, in a more like kind of contemporary to us sense, yeah. Sure, sure. So so the idea if I just so I have this correct, the idea is that um, because this is not a military target, um, and I'm assuming this exchange town is full of a bunch of civilians, yeah. the wholesale slaughter of this uh, and destruction of this town amounts to a war crime because it's not a military target. It was an attack on non-combatants, yeah, a deliberate attack on non-combatants. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and that is the definition of war crime, is it? I'm, I'm, I mean, I sincerely hope that that would be considered one. <laughs> right okay, okay. I, I, well, am not, in, I am not a lawyer I'm not a, a, a war lawyer but uh, I imagine I, I feel like I can um, say with reasonable confidence that it would be a war crime sure I, I suppose and then you're saying that it may other things may also be war crimes not exclusively this but you would hope that yes. this is a, one of them yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so the second operation uh, is if I have this correct the uh, Yar and his band of bad guys um, decided to take out uh, an Earthani barge. Mm -hmm. And I guess the interesting thing here is that he makes a distinction between these two things. You, the author, have said that both are pretty terrible. But it seems to me like the second one is the real terrible one because he says explicitly, no survivors remain to recount this breach of customs and treaty. So that wording implies that in the context of Vicairn, the second operation is an actual war crime. And the other one is just like, well, boys will be boys, fighting occurs, sort of thing. Um, am I reading that correctly? Uh, not exactly. It's um, mm. it's more that uh, it's it's been established uh, previously that the Urfani sovereignty. Are kind of, yes, their sovereignty. So th- yeah. this is like um, what he was doing before is something he probably shouldn't have been doing, um, but it had been kind of deliberately sanctioned um, by his backers. Whereas this was him acting off his own. Um, initiative and doing something that was kind of seen as beyond uh, beyond the pale or riskier, beyond the pale to his backers. Like you, is the idea here that Alette might there is a world where Alette, the recipient of this letter, would be furious at Yar for doing this for the risk incurred, not for moral reasons. Yeah, yeah, for the yeah. risk. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Okay. Um, I'm sure we've talked about this in again the twenty years we've been doing this podcast, but. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, the, the Artifacts concept- podcast established in 1928 <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, um, 
the, 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 yeah, the concept of Earthani sovereignty. If I recall correctly, that is a, an Earthani ship is seen as a sovereign entity. And an attack upon an Earthani ship is the equivalent of like uh, what we think of as, as attacking a country. Yeah. Right. Now, th- the question then is begged. And again, I can't remember if we addressed this uh, in, the, in the 20s, <laughs> back when we started the podcast. Um, d- once the ship is removed from the equation, it does sovereignty uh, go away. So as in, if the Earthani people go on land then they aren't sovereign, I take it. Is this the equivalent of, like, diplomats? You know, when in, in real life, when diplomats get into a car, there's, like, an extended bubble, bubble of diplomatic immunity that travels with said car. Yeah. Is this kind of what's happening here? They're, the bubble is around the ship, and the minute you leave that, you no longer have uh, the protection of being a sovereign entity. I mean, like, yeah, it, it wouldn't be as grievous uh, a thing... Um for, for something to, to happen to, to an Athani trader on land as if they were deliberately attacked when they were on their vessel. There, there would be, a, there would be a, a, a customary distinction there. And I suppose, can you, can you elaborate why? I get that ships are important mm-hmm. for, for the Athani, but like something being important, I don't know, it feels a bit weird to be like, that's the basis for the sovereignty, or maybe it's not weird, I don't know. Um, or I suppose to rephrase, it seems a bit weird that the minute an Earthani person uh, or a whole crew of Earthani people just step on shore, you could like drop a small nuke on them, drop drop a tactical nuke, and everyone's kind of like, "Well, it's sad." But well, like, no, it's not no, as bad no, as no one's going to say that. Like, it's totally fine. Um, but no, but there's no, but there's a difference. There's there's a categorical difference, and I'm wondering why the ship seems to be the 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 differentiating factor here. Well, think of it like if if. Pick a country, right? Pick two countries. Uh, oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. Belgium. Okay. Uh, and Nauru. Okay, so uh, a Belgian uh, person, uh, a Belgian as they're called, um, mm-hmm. gets killed uh, by Nauruan separatists in pick a third country. Um, I'm trying to come up with a joke answer here, but every joke answer I can think of is maybe offensive. But I'm just going to go with okay, it. Okay, Ireland. The Basque country. No, the Basque country. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, a Belgian gets killed by Nauruan uh, forces in the, uh, in the uh, Basque-Irish Confederacy, okay? Sure, sure, sure. Um, right, compare that to uh, Nauru shooting Belgians in Belgium. Those are those are different scenarios with different implications. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? I do, I yeah. do, yeah, yeah. The, the, the boat is Belgium is what you're saying. Yeah, the, the, the boat, that, that is the Irthani <laughs> nation, like the, the Irthani territory is their vessels. No, no, no. The boat is literally Belgium. It's the Not size of nation. Belgium. Yeah, it's the size Just of Belgium. Be- it, is. Yeah. it is. Yeah, exactly. And there's chocolates on board. Mm-hmm. Lots of chocolates. And little detectives. <laughs> and little... De- oh, I miss. I don't get that reference. Hercule Poirot is, is Belgium. Is he hell? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And saxophones are there as well. And is that also a Belgian thing? It was invented by a Belgian. Adolf Sax wow. was Belgian. 
I, I don't know if this is like a myth. Sorry, tangent alert, folks. I apologize profusely. Um, don't know if this is a myth, um, but uh, I seem to remember hearing or reading or seeing uh, a thing where the sack, there was like a big classical music had a plot to oust the saxophone. Um, and specifically, I think big classical luthers uh, who, you know, made woodwind instruments and, and things like that and horns and all that sort of jazz. They saw the invention of the saxophone and they were kind of like, well, we can't let this thing become a standard orchestral instrument because it's going to like take away, you know, our supremacy here or whatever. Like we, you know, we make the instruments. Uh, and because of that sort of concerted effort, the saxophone never became part of um, the orchestra. Even though uh, I've heard some recordings of like a full saxophone section in orchestral music and it fits so beautifully, mm. like really fits really, really well. Um, because, you know, everyone thinks saxophone, they think the jazz sound. But if you give a saxophone to a classical musician, they produce a very, very different type of sound and it just melds really well. Have you heard something along those lines or am I just making crap up here? I think that is essentially correct. Yeah. Hmm. Isn't that, that, that it was in, instrument makers were, were are a part of the reason that it, it never became adopted as a standard orchestral instrument and became more like in, in military bands and stuff instead. Yeah, it's it's absolutely mental that that's a thing that occurred. Um, anyhow, anyhow, okay, so no survivors remain to recount this breach of custom treaty. So the breach of custom treaty is referring to this uh, unsanctioned attack on a sovereign entity, correct? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, and just reading between the lines here, I'm assuming this was done to to further disrupt the ability to trade into the V-Call region because you took out the exchange town. While you're at it, you may as well take out some of the boats. Uh, that is, you know, collateral that the, the Earthani will have to deal with. Yeah, and I think part of it was um, just kind of opportunistic uh, and seeking seeking the goods on on Yar's part, he just was like, "Well, we can we can steal that stuff and we can get away with it, so let's let's give it a try." Okay, cool. Um, he's in, he's industrious, is our Yar. That's that is uh, definitely a word. That is a word, and it's not, it does it doesn't have any like uh, moral connotations to it. I don't like, think you it can does, be no. indu- yeah, you can be bad, do bad things with your industry, <laughs> and uh, our friend Yar certainly does. Um, now, with regards to the second operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you talk in the third paragraph here uh, about like he he accounts how the the battle if you will played out, mm-hmm. um, and he makes note of the fact that his tactic was um, line the shores or line the riverbanks with marines, make it a ground assault to distract from the aerial assault that's coming, mm-hmm. um, and the aerial assault was like the key killing blow sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I guess my question here, from a sort of like um, how does battles work um what uh, why distract them from the aerial assault like do they have any means of combating you know death raining from the sky uh well like he didn't want to sink the thing outright so okay. he, he wanted to be able to land people on it and that would have been more difficult had they been out more aware of the of the of your that would have been more difficult had he been more aware of of my Christ. <laughs> That's all staying in, Bill. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm going to blaspheme. I have 100% control. <laughs> I'm going to blaspheme, so you have to take it out. 
Um, that would have been more difficult had the Athani been more aware of his approach and he would have in- in- inflicted more casualties on himself because they would have been able to fire up at the, the borders. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's kind of what I'm getting at. What is the sort of firepower here? I'm imagining uh, bows and arrows and I'm imagining that's not going to do very much against a, a airship. What's the, what is the no, firepower? It's, it's, they got cannons? Whatever, what, yeah, I think th- I, they would have batteries, yeah. But sure, sure. They, they, can, they will have to aim that or they would be able to aim that at the individuals going sure. between the airship and the barge. It's it's not about damaging the airship itself as much as it is about just avoiding the casualties of his own crew. But but in in abstract, I guess if if a uh, a Besky airship were to fly over an Arthani mm-hmm. boat, leaving aside the people trying to um, what's the what's the naval term to when you board boarding, yeah. um, leaving aside people boarding the ship, th- the firepower an Arthani vessel has, uh, are they capable of inflicting damage? on an Abeski airship? In general, I'd say not much. Not, okay. Probably yeah, okay. some. That's because, that's but. what I was, that's what I was kind of thinking. And because as you're reading, I was kind of like, oh yeah, they might have cannons. But then I'm kind of like, well, hold on a second. If these are cannons in the sense of like, ye olde cannons on earth, uh, at least the way I understand it is that when you fire a cannon, the whole bloody cannon just recoils backwards. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, if they turn that up, like, at any sort of angle, the recoil will just smash into the deck and end up puncturing a hole in the deck, particularly if it's at like 90 degrees up. So I was kind of like, it feels like they would just be limited to bows and arrows or maybe hand guns, if that's a thing that exists in in this universe. Um, and then I thought to myself, like, yeah, against an airship, which I'm envisaging as being kind of like very metal clad, um, wouldn't really do much at all. Um, yeah, so I've actually, I've written about this before. Um, the typical arrangement of batteries on an Arthani vessel is intended primarily to repel boarding attempts or counterattack against hostile forces on land and is rarely suited to target airborne aggressors. Um, so yeah, they, they, they have uh, some degree of elevation, but someone that's like close and above them would, would be difficult for their batteries to, to engage with. Sure. Um, final line of that paragraph the captain was killed in the fighting this is the captain of the Artani ship yeah. before she had time to destroy her barge's logs thus these were secured for their for your use mm-hmm. um, again I'm assuming the use here is just data yeah in- intelligence what their intelligence yeah okay yeah. brilliant um, the I guess in the fourth paragraph I just it, this is not unique to your uh, situation but I always found that the the sort of unceremonial uh, way in which the uh, enemy combatants are um, a dead enemy combatants are dealt with when it comes to like naval war just being yeeted off uh, the ship when they're dead is just always very grim yeah uh, lots of that in in Vikings as well they're just you know just people just get thrown over and even your own which I always found really like heartbreaking to watch uh, again the show Vikings you know the Franks will say will fire upon a a Viking ship. Uh, some of the arrows will get through, and the living Vikings will just simply take their dead comrade and just throw them off the side and be like, "More fighting." And I, I think that's really grim, um, <laughs> a really grim way to go. Um, now the final, final. I got 
two two final things. Um, last paragraph: All seized cargo from these expeditions would be dealt with by our usual agent in the Usin uh, Depot. Mm-hmm. Anything to talk about with the phrase "our usual agent"? Is this a an inside dude who is okay to uh, uh, okay with dealing with these, you know, quasi outside of the Tamar Company? dealings yeah so he's kind of laundering the goods that they can't be kind of directly traced to um to yar and to the benefactors that it's like he's he's working slightly outside the or alongside the system um the normal system for for their their seized goods and again like is the problem the and the reason why he doesn't operate within the system, leaving aside the fact that he's just like had that disgrace and he's outside because of that, um, the system, the normal system would look down upon this because of the breaking of, of custom and treaty. Because I'm looking at this being like the Aveski just like got more materiel, more goods, more resources. They'd be like, great, let's, let's be having them. I don't really understand why standard Aveski practice would be like, no, please don't do this. Uh, just because they, the Abes- they, they don't want to provoke open conflict with the Abeski. Just it would be an un, 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 unnecessary complication, an unwelcome complication. Have we not heard of Abeski doing this, though? Attacking Urthani? Yeah. No. Okay, all right. Um, and then the final line, uh, or final thing I, I have to say about it, uh, should you require it, I can provide an account of this engagement, perhaps couched in speculative language, uh, for inclusion in company treatises, um, or for the reviewer of the commission as they consider how to further pursue this current conflict. Uh, again, is this just we're talking forging documents? Um, you know, not really accounting what what continued, what what went on, etc. Oh no! Um, so what he's saying there is, I have successfully. Uh, done this thing that we're not supposed to be able to do or that we're not we're not allowed to do and it's supposed to be difficult to kind of get away with uh, and I've done it um so you know I can I can write an account of what happened here and if you want me to say like well well this is maybe an option and and present it as a oh. as a hypothetical then I will do that uh, so that you know we have the ability to um do this again so like you know other people can learn from from my successful oh. tactics here all right, so he's writing a handbook, basically. Except like a covert thing, but he's he's, re- he's writing a how-to. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's offering to to present this as uh, as a, a how-to. It's like, oh well, hypothetically, if you wanted to attack a barge, you could do it this way. But okay, that's cool. I get that. Yeah. But is anything that he did like revolutionary? Like he he just did a pincer attack. Like is that? Uh, surely this would be just if they if any Abeski just thought about it for a second they'd be like oh yeah that's a way to take out a barge is there something in this that's radical on his part no other than having the the valor to go and do it um but also Yara thinks highly of himself right right, yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah that's i'm i'm gonna write my magnum opus on this this is my great contribution to military tactics yeah okay (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. Um, and then, uh, sorry, I keep saying final. It's not actually the final thing, but I promise you it's the final thing because it's literally the last thing you wrote in the thing. Contract Captain Yarte Yartlin location withheld. Mm-hmm. Um, anything in the location withheld? Or is that just, you know, in case this letter is intercepted, 
he doesn't want to be known where he is? Is there any reason why the locations would help? Because surely this is Alesh, his uh, like co-conspirator and benefactor. Alette shouldn't really care where he is if he makes it explicit or not. Yeah, that's that's just kind of his his standard thing at the moment. Um, I mean, obviously, there's much more incriminating stuff in this letter than just the location, but he's just kind of as as kind of a rule. Um, <laughs> I guess a, a veneer of plausible deniability for for the others. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, cool. Um, that's my point. Have I missed anything? I don't think so. Oh dear, this is going to be another short show. I think that's pretty <laughs> comprehensive. Um, good, good. Yeah, okay. So, you are doing some war crimes. Exactly. Continuing to do war crimes. I, I, I know I, I, I asked this a lot, but well, I'll do it again. Where where do you see this going? Because, I mean, I'm assuming we can't just endlessly have entries of Yar being like, I've committed my 51st war crime. <laughs> um, like, this has to... Well, this is the, this is the first one we've actually heard about. Right, right. But what I'm saying is we can't every month uh, now continue with, and here's another account of another war crime and another yeah. one. Like he can't, he can't for the end of time just be this kind of like um, a private contractor or whatever, a contract captain going around doing bad things. There, there has to be a, a this this thread has to come to a conclusion at some stage. Yeah. Um, how do you see this playing out? Because I mean... I guess what I would speculate is that someone in in the companies takes note of what's going on and they go, well, hang on now. This bloke, I know he's been through the scandal ever, but like we have a track record of him doing all of these things out on his own. We should try and incorporate him back in to the fold, make it official uh, and utilize that. I could see that being a thing. And I suppose further, I could then see the sort of maybe Yar as a free dude, basically, um, has all this kind of reign to sort of do these atrocities, and then maybe if he gets refolded back into the to the 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 system, um, there could be an element of frustration then that like uh you know he's been accepted back and he loves that, but also he can't go and continuously uh murder Erthani uh, the way he has been. So there could be like a a, a conflict of like. What is my? Where is my life going? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, I'm wondering. Do you think anything like this, or would you have any any speculate with me? Any further outs? I I don't know. I think another interesting option would be for him to be made a kind of a scapegoat. That oh no, that wasn't us doing that. That was this guy, and mm. and have have his the people he thinks he's working for turn on him. That's oh, that's very good actually. That's very good, yeah. And I guess I don't know if this is an interesting option per se, but it's a thing you haven't leaned into too much. There could be a death. He could die. Yeah. I mean, that would you know you'd be definitely pulling the Game of Thrones there, where everyone's least favorite character or everyone's favorite least favorite character um, just does a Ned Stark, and it's like oh crap, he died. Well, it's more it's more of a Joffrey. Because everyone likes a, Ned, surely. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. That that's fair. Um, because that is a thing you you haven't. It just dawned on me. You haven't leaned to this. People have died, but they've never been kind of like main characters. I don't think. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe some deaths are mer- merited. Yeah, possibly. And also, I suppose this is not really related to to this particular thread, but. Uh, 
given that, you know, when one is writing, one can write on broader timescales than, you know, real life. Um, slightly inspired by Vikings as well. It'd be interesting to see whether or not we get second generations of some of these characters. Um, like Yar's son um, or whoever's daughter or whatever and how they, how they you know, uh, take, take the torch up in the name of their parents or fumble the torch in the name of their parents, etc. Um, that might be a cool thing to, to explore a bit more, like, deeper time. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there because not necessarily related to this this year tangent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Green room? That's green room. Uh, I won't put this on air. Do you, do you have stuff for the green room? You don't... Do you have anything to talk about? I need about? a very dull life, Edgar. Yeah. Maybe I should have put that in. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Green room. Uh, the part of the show where we don't really talk about anything that is world building or conlanging or general language related. We just talk about ourselves and sometimes talk about money. But there's no money this month. Um... <laughs> Big news in my life is that I am currently, uh, as of six days, I am Mr. and Mrs. Captain. Um, Congratulations, Mr. Captain. The marriage finally happened. All the, for anyone who hadn't tuned in in previous shows, it was a huge problem getting married uh, to the wonderful captain because I was born in Saudi Arabia. Uh, that means I have had a Saudi Arabian birth cert in Ireland because of just stupid bureaucracy in order to get married. Even if you are an Irish citizen, you must present an original copy of, of your birth cert. I was not in possession of an original copy of my birth cert, uh, and it would be um, practically and financially borderline impossible to obtain an original copy of my birth cert. So we had to elope uh, to England uh, to get married. And that occurred six days ago. We were over in England with the family and we had our little wedding in a, in a, in a, whatever, registry office in a public library, basically. Very low key. And we're in and out, job done, all wonderful. Um, and yeah, I am now a, a, a married man, which is such a weird thing to say, but it's cool. Are you going to become a, a total wife guy? What's a wife guy? Wife guy is like just a guy who's like really into his wife and like always, always talking about how cool his wife is and like picking her up. Uh, I, th- I I think I think you should. I think that would be good. I mean, that would rely on my talking to other people, um, which is a thing I don't really do very much. Okay. <laughs> I still find the concept of saying my wife as being just weird. I think the word I don't know if people feel this way. But I think the word wife has horrible mouthfeel. It's just. It's just a bleh sounding word. Um, and there's just, I don't know, it feels to me more possessive than a phrase like my partner. And I kind of think I, I'm I'm going to stick with that lingo because it's the lingo I'm, I'm used to. It's like, you know, Bill, when you in later life uh, learn or become friendly with uh, an old teacher of yours, mm-hmm. um, you, you would have referred to them as sir or miss, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. The way I did, and then you later in life you become friendly with them, and you realize that their name is Derek, and you're suddenly like, 
crap, I have to call this person Derek. And it feels really weird and odd. And I and you don't and I don't well, I don't like it. Um it's the same thing with this. It's like there's been a change of status, and I'm like, oh no, but my brain is like partner. And partner implies, you know, there's no ownership there. It's like it's a cooperative thing. Like my partner, we're in, we're partners in this together. I don't know, I'm having a very hard time using the word wife. And I'm having a very hard time listening to the word husband. Uh, it's it's odd. And maybe time will cure that. I don't know. But at the moment, I'm kind of like I'm rallying against that a little bit. You'll need to come up with a... You'll need to world build a new phrase that suits you. <laughs> well, my track record of coming up with new phrases is pretty poor. So uh, I don't see myself coming up with a good one there. That's exactly um, how I want you to do it. Oh, oh, fun thing, fun thing. Uh, given that we know that the the captain's father, the admiral, listens to the show. Oh yeah, hello, John. Hey, John. Um, very cute thing occurred. Uh, as a total surprise, um, the the admirable, the, the admirable, the admirable <laughs> admiral. Uh, well, it's admirable up, now. Exactly. Uh, showed up in England uh, as a complete surprise. That wasn't planned oh. at all. We land in the registry office and the person at the desk says, okay, uh, I'm like, I'm here to get married or we're here to get married. And, and and she goes, okay, but I need you to turn around real fast. And we're like, what is this like? This is really odd. And so we turn from the reception desk and then out of a spare room comes the admirable, damn it, we're sticking with it, uh, and and his wife. And we're like, oh my God, what are you doing here? And it was really cute. And then I, I, like, I quizzed him. I was like, why, why are you doing this? Uh, but given that it was expressly that we were like, we want no fuss, no family, just in and out. We don't want to go through the politics of like inviting one group and maybe not inviting the others, etc. And it was really cute. Uh, he he was like, um, well, because given that this is occurring in England and Edgar, you have a bunch of family in England. I felt like maybe might be, uh, I felt like maybe the captain uh, might be um, like feel a little bit like lacking family there. And I was like, I never thought of that, and I'm glad you did. So it was very cute. It was really, really cute. Um, and we all flew back the same day, and yeah, great. Lovely. No, really nice. Um, the 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 only other thing, uh, like noteworthy news, I have to talk about this in relation to like being married, is uh, the I'm having terrible woes with a honeymoon bill um, mm-hmm. that I can't remember. Did I talk about this last time? Did I talk about Peru? Do you remember me talking about Peru? Not specifically. No, I remember South America being mentioned as a potential honeymoon destination. But So I started doing research in earnest for places to go. And I quickly realized Peru is kind of class. And, you know, if one is going to throw money at a honeymoon, uh, Peru is a good place because Machu Picchu and all that, like I, on a standard holiday uh, those things I used to take pre-pandemic, I, I would never go to Peru. Like it's 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 too far away, it's too expensive, all that sort of jazz. But as a honeymoon, it's kind of like you know I rationalize it as this is one big expense, like a once in a lifetime, just just go for it. Um, so I was looking into Peru. I had the whole I had a route planned out that we go see some stuff in Lima, the Nazca lines, uh, Lake Titicaca. Uh, Machu Picchu. I had a whole route planned up. I started doing the finances on you know how much public transport costs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I found find out at like the eleventh hour that Peru is on fire. <laughs> like oh. there's massive, massive political 
demonstrations going on. I, I don't really know why. It's probably some authoritarian is in, in power and they, everyone wants them ousted. Um, and it's so bad, apparently, that the government have shut down all tourist sites indefinitely. So, like, Machu Picchu is quite literally closed, which I find really odd, given that it's an open site. But it's just, like, you can't, you, you can't get there. And you can't do anything in Peru as a, as a tourist. It's like, do not travel there. And so I was like, crap. And the more I researched it, the more I have my heart set on it. I was like, this is so cool. And like the captain was getting into it as well and being like, yeah, this actually, this is it. This is, we should do this. This is going to be awesome. And then it's like indefinitely closed. And we've no idea when this um, turmoil will, will stop. And so it's like, oh, it's very sad. And then, and I was like, okay, well, I can't just wait indefinitely, so let's go to plan B. What's another place that we always wanted to go to? Um, and Georgia was the, the obvious answer. Um, <coughs> and it was on my mind, particularly because the last couple of shows, people uh, had sent in Georgian money and people had been in Georgia. Um, so I was like, Georgia. Not as appealing because on an ordinary holiday, Georgia is, it's financially viable to go to Georgia for an ordinary holiday. So it's not like the big once in a lifetime thing. But I was like, okay, it's a good second solution. Um, started doing all the research for that, costing all the things, you know, figuring out how much rental cars would cost, coming up with the route, all that sort of jazz. Literally just like a couple of days ago, I was just browsing Reddit before bed. Turns out, Georgia's on fire. <laughs> There's God. like massive political protests in Georgia for, again, a reason, reasons I don't really know, but probably the obvious one. And I'm just kind of like, what is going on here? I was chatting to Zidnaf about this yesterday and uh, he was like, okay, so whatever you do, Edgar, just don't pick as your plan C America, because it seems like wherever you pick, violent protests just break out. And I would like it if maybe the US didn't have a massive like uprising at the moment, because you know he lives there, etc. And it's it it all a quiet year this time, this year. Keep twenty twenty three low key. Exactly. So it's just uh, it's very sad because outside of that, I'm just. Oh, those two, I feel like I'm just picking something to pick something, or I should say we, because it's a joint decision, but I've been left in charge with the pre, the pre-research pre sort of thing. Um, pre-search. Pre-search, yeah. I think I'd just be picking something for the sake of picking something, which is kind of, I don't want to do. Like, I want to go like, let's do this really special thing. Let's go somewhere we wouldn't ordinarily go, etc. Yeah, it's just, it's just driving me nuts. Um, and obviously like, you know, my inconvenience here doesn't matter in the grand scheme of people having freedoms and stuff, but it is fun that the two places I was like, haha, I gotcha. It's just like, no, literal, just it's on fire. <sighs> but yeah, so those are my, um, my, uh, problems. First world problems, minor paper cuts or uh, <laughs> the fallout of getting married. Um, beyond that, I have nothing. Um, on currency, one of my students came up to me the other day to show me uh, a mysterious coin that they had found in their piggy bank, um, which I don't know why they did that. I think it was just like, Bill's a cool teacher. Here's a cool thing I found. I mean, I, I, I've never mentioned or like, talked about money or anything. Um, kids are kids are weird, man. I used yeah. to get like school projects arriving into music class. Be like, I made a pot. And I'm like, I don't care. Why is the pot here? We're here to do music. <laughs> leave your pot in the car to just bring stuff like magpies no i i love that stuff i love that stuff i'm like oh yeah cool 
show me things show me things things are awesome um but anyway it turned out to be uh 100 barini fills the hell is that so the the dinar is the currency of bahrain and i think the fill yeah the fills is a, a thousandth of it oh yeah so mm-hmm. uh a a, a a, a dinar is like two euro forty nine. Um, so a hundred oh, wow. fills is like twenty five cent, and it, it looks kind of like a euro coin, and with the little silver bit in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 two, it's a, a two metal coin, um, which I guess is what how it got mixed up into currency in Ireland. Um, so yeah, I, I do we have anything from Bahrain on on the Bank of Artifexia map? Do we have any Bahraini notes? Do not believe so. Hold on. Artifexia uh, money map. Uh, Bank of Artifexia map. On. It looks... Now, obviously, Bahrain is very small, but it looks like we have nothing from Bahrain. Um, nor so. Qatar. Or the possibly the UAE. Yeah, yeah, not the UAE. Uh, Oman or Yemen. Kuwait. Um, I, no, no, not definitely not quite. I, I would see it as a little green fle- uh, fleck. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Well, don't uh, obviously don't thieve the child of this unique coin. And oh no, I mean I, obviously I won't. And also, it's it's a coin, not a, not a note. So precisely, precisely. But, no, um, I have I have seen Barini currency now. Very good, very good. Uh, on the subject of teaching, can I share what I think you will think is a horrific story? Yes, about teaching. So uh, my brother is currently a music teacher employed by a um, a notable employer of music teachers in Ireland. I'm not going to say who they are for reasons. Okay. Um, but I'm sure I think you know who I might talk about, be talking about. Um, I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, randomly, he just showed up one day and we're you know exchanging small talk. And I was like, how's the job going? And he was expressing his frustrations because he got... Um, um, reprimanded by a, a, a boss um, for uh, introducing competition uh, into the sort of the classroom. Even it's not really classroom; it's like a one-on-one sort of thing. And the idea is that what happened was, um, if there was spare time uh, at the end of a lesson, or like let's say a parent was late picking up a child, and the impression I got is that my brother would like um, play horse with them. Um, I'm assuming you know what horse is. I do not. Okay, it's it's like it's from the Tony Hawk Skater Games, is how I know it. It's like you do a, a little challenge or whatever, and mm-hmm. if you fail at the challenge, you get a you get a H, and then oh, and then okay. o, yeah, yeah, yeah. And once you get a horse, you're like lol, you've lost. Um, and so he'd do little musical drills with them, um, and they'd like drill off himself and and the student or possibly another student if there was two um and he'd play horse and from his accounting of it the kids kind of dug it um but the employer was like that uh, you can't do something that's competitive like that because um necessarily there will always be someone who feels like they've lost uh, or they're losing and uh you know i guess that's a liability because the parents could complain etc etc which I don't agree with, but I can kind of get on board with, I mean, like, I can see how he comes to that conclusion. Fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that drives me a bit nuts as kind of like an ex-music teacher um, was that my brother turned around and was like, okay, so what do you want me to do? 
I surely don't want me to just sit there and not like educate the child in these instances. They're like, oh no, what you should do is you should just put on YouTube and you know those little piano tutorial videos where it's like the keyboard with the neon lights raining down on it? Oh, you know I hate thing? those things. Literally, the word from above was just play the video and sit there and watch the kids. Let them learn from the video and you do nothing. Now, I am in favor... It is, isn't it? But now I am in favor of using media in the classroom, right? Totally in favor. But like, I cannot believe I have to make the case, or my brother has to make the case, that it has to be supplemented with the knowledge and experience of an actual teacher. Like, you can't just be like, here is a video with tabs rolling across the screen. Yeah, You're on your own. (laughs) You're on your own. It's kind of like, why are we even... Why are they even coming here? Like the kids could do that at home. And I just, I got so irrationally angry at that. Now, assuming my brother is, you know, I'm not, I'm probably getting a very one-sided account of what's going on, but like I've got nothing else to go on. I'm going to assume that that's truthful. If that's the actual case, that is like death to the profession of teaching. And I hate it so much. And it's just, it drives me absolutely nuts that that's a thing. Just, just put on a video. Don't teach the kids for fear of competition. What? Oh, a, a good compromise there is do some kind of team game. If there's like you know more than say four kids, so like yeah. there's, not a, there's not an individual loser. Yeah, like yeah, that, that's yeah. I would agree with that. There are many things you could do, and bottom of the list is don't teach. <laughs> yeah, bottom of the list is put on YouTube Synthesia. Like it's just I can't. I just I can't believe. It. And again, this is like. A music teaching organization, you know, like their job is, or at least the way my brother's involved in it, their job is to educate kids in music. I cannot believe that the higher ups are making this argument. Like it's just, oh, it's just, sorry, I'm, I'm going to get like irrationally angry about this. And I, I shouldn't even care. I'm no longer a teacher. I don't teach music anymore. So it's, you know, it's not my world anymore. But, oh, yeah. You, I don't suppose you've ever, have you experienced anything like that? Because I know you have higher ups. Um, uh, with your music teaching, have you experienced any calls from higher ups that have kind of been of the ilk of like an anti-pedagogy sort of thing, mm. without making specific reference to anyone? Obviously, no, I don't think so. I think in, in in general, I've been I've been pretty pretty happy with my my bosses and their their feelings about teaching, and I've you know generally been pretty supported. Great, and you can kind of do what you kind of want in you know within reason. Within reason, like we, we have kind of in in the various settings that I work in, we have kind of uh, goals to work towards, but we're given autonomy on how to achieve them. Good, good. Yeah. That, that was the best thing about being um, completely self-employed as a music teacher. It was like I, I did what I wanted. And if, if the parents didn't like that, it was just a simple case of like, well, then I'm not the teacher for your child. Um, here is a list of some other notable yeah. teachers in the area. Uh, I loved having... Uh, the freedom to do that um because i just i just i know it's the way i work i cannot stand higher ups telling me what to do particularly when the um when the uh suggestion is a lot of nonsense i'm very kind mm. of like headstrong i don't work well as a team <laughs> i'm not a team player at all um maximum anyhow, two maximum two like we, we get on fairly well but i think we get on fairly well in doing the show because like um we don't really dictate anything to each other at all. Yeah. Um, and it's always just like, I've had an idea. 
what do you think about this? And to be honest with you, Matt, you're really cool. Most of the time you're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, like how, how about it's we true. do... We, I am very cool. You are very cool. Uh, like, how about we do cooking? And you're like, hmm, sure. And like, how about we review some books? Hmm, sure. And there's very, uh, like, very little pushback and stuff, uh, which is... Which is absolutely wonderful because if you if you were the type to like want to impose their your will, um, I I can't see this podcast wouldn't have lasted seventy years basically if that, I mean, that was the case. You you let me write my my silly little stories about uh, bad bad guys and flying airships, so you know. It, it goes and, well. see, and that's the thing though. Like I feel like I I kind of live by what I preach because like I never give you any sort of input beyond like hypothesizing on the show but i never like off air go okay bill like we really need to move away from uh like stop writing about ecairn you need to start writing about something else or do you remember you wrote about um uh, the the other planet with the with the giant bird things harpies or something was that ecairn ecairn had the big the, the big bird things yeah what was the one with the polar continent polar you did a polar map that's the answer Janspar. Janspar. Yeah. Um, like, I'm not being like, you know, write about that. Stop writing about this. I'm just like, yep, yeah, we both decided that story time is cool. You have free reign on stories. You are the expert for your world. I'm not saying anything. Just, you know, talk to me. That's it. Um, I think that's the way it should be. But I think t- t- too often people are just kind of like, no, my opinion is valid. Bill needs to hear my opinion on prose, which is just not, <laughs> not something I'm interested in doing. Um, right. Shine. Shine. Show a on show. Show? Yeah. Yeah. Tom Show Creek now. No. SEO follow. SEO follow. Who knows? Irish photography is a disaster. No, it's not. It's brilliant. It's. Oh. We can't get into it now. Okay. Put that in the in the in the show notes. Show notes for the next one. AP 76. A beautiful and consistent. Well, it, well, it's not consistent. Like nothing is consistent. To be fair, it's not a like a designed. Uh, it's a natural thing. So it's going always going to have inconsistencies. Yeah. Um, okay, why Irish orthography is awful? <laughs> Question mark. Okay, cool. Uh, we will debate that. Uh, next time right that is the show folks thank you so much for uh listening to us um thank you for supporting us on on patreon uh, thanks for being in reddit and again to reiterate just thank you for being sound even when we say things that you disagree with we're never shouted at and that's just class so seriously keep it up y'all are wonderful people this is a wonderful uh community um until next time edgar, edgar out. Out. Thank mm-hmm. you.